right, Grace Church, Medina East, Sunday morning. How are you guys doing today? All right. Well, my name is Dan, and uh, I lead student ministries out here uh, at, this, at this campus. Student ministries is super duper cool. It's comprised of everybody from sixth all the way through 12th grade. And we hang out in a variety of different environments throughout the week. We're just trying to discover who Jesus is and allow the reality of his love to impact our lives for real. And we're excited about some of the things that he's doing uh, in and through us. And so if you or somebody you know is in that range from 6th all the way through 12th, please come find me after the service. Uh, I'd love a chance to share with you about what God is doing, the impact that he's making. It's, it's been pretty sweet. And like Colin said as well, if you're a guest or if it's your first time out here, we do just want to extend an extra special welcome to you. We're so grateful that you would take time out of your schedule to come hang out with us and check us out. So we hope you feel welcome, for real, because you are. We just genuinely love you. We pray for you, and we're so glad you're here. And I just want to send the maximum love vibes right at you. Everybody go like this. Receiving love vibes. Receiving love vibes. Okay, very good. Thank you. (laughs) And for those of you online, I'm sending love vibes at you as well. Uh, Receive them. We love you, and we're glad you can connect with us as well. Uh, So what we're doing today uh, is we're actually concluding a series that we've been calling True and False. And I think this is uh, just a really, it's been a pretty intense uh, series. We're actually concluding what's called the Sermon on the Mount. We've been in the Sermon on the Mount for a number of months, and it's been pretty, pretty powerful. And it's actually, this, this series is just based on a sort of a brief passage at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. And so I'm excited to get in, uh, into it with you as we're going to be jumping actually right in. So Matthew uh, chapter 7. So if you have your Bible, if you want to blast that thing open, or if you have a device, you want to fire it up, that's cool. You can do that. If you didn't bring a Bible, that's okay. We actually have some for you in the chairs uh, underneath you, and you can find Matthew chapter 7 on page 788 in those black Bibles. And we also say this every week. This is kind of a cool thing. If you don't have a Bible, just straight up don't own a copy. You can take one of those and make it a gift uh, from us to you. I think it is extremely important that you have a copy of God's Word. It is awesome. It's alive, and it's, it's uh, for you to discover His love. So as you're getting there, whatever, I'm just going to mention uh, again that this entire series is based on the conclusion to a sermon. I'm preaching a sermon right now, but I'm actually, this whole sermon is just kind of exploring the conclusion to Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. And what's interesting about Jesus' sermon and the way he approaches it is that he doesn't end his famous sermon with just kind of like an inspirational story or kind of like a practical list of like, you know, seven, whatever, seven sensible steps to live out the Sermon on the Mount. How Jesus, how Jesus ends his sermon is with a very, very harrowing and serious warning. And he actually uses various examples that all come in twos to give this warning. So in our series, we've been exploring the two roads, the two teachers, the two disciples, and the two builders. And each week, we've been working through one of these kind of elements of these warnings and asking the question, what did Jesus mean? by these warnings, and how do we heed these warnings? And so this week, we're going to look at the two builders, and uh, it's, it's just very, <laughs> to be honest with you, it's just a very, very serious message. And um, as I've been preparing this uh, for the past couple of weeks and thinking about it, I'm going to be very as honest as I can with you. There has been a real weight. I've felt the weight of this uh, conversation, and I just want to be honest and direct with uh, everyone here and say that I really believe Jesus wants to lead us into a clear embrace and an understanding of the uh, seriousness 
that he's dealing with in this sermon. And so that's going to kind of be the tone today. Uh, and I've actually relied a lot on Pastor Tony's sermon. He did, uh, our campus pastor, Pastor Tony, he did a sermon on this, uh, on these verses about a year and a half ago, like last summer. And I just want to give credit where credit is due. Uh, a lot of the language that I'm going to be using is kind of similar to what he said. I just thought he did an excellent job and uh, you can't, I couldn't really improve too much on that. And so we're going to go ahead and jump right in. And like I said, I'm just, I'm really excited. So this is Matthew chapter seven, uh, starting in verse 24. So here we go. Therefore, Actually, let's just stop right there for one second. Uh, so uh, some of you might be aware that this word therefore is kind of a notorious word in Bible study. Uh, therefore, you know, it's, it's, uh, you, you encounter it kind of frequently, especially in the New Testament, like some, something will, will occur and it's, and it's always a good question to ask, what's, what's going on here? And so some of you might be familiar with this question. I don't know, if you, if you know it, in fact, you can repeat it with me. When you encounter the word therefore, it's good to ask, what's the therefore there because of? <laughs> I don't know why everybody laughs when I say it. that's how I was always taught. What's the, no, obviously. What's the therefore therefore? All right. You should ask that question because the, the word therefore, it helps us understand when we ask what, what's going on, right? It's there. The word therefore is there at a conclusion. It's like the logical, the logical conclu- conclusion is therefore let's do this or let's implement what we've uh, been talking about before. And it comes from this Greek word oon, which rhymes with moon. And it basically means in light of, or these things being so, right? It's the logical conclusion. And so what we need to recognize is in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has spent chapter 5 of Matthew, chapter 6 of Matthew, and chapter 7 of Matthew unfolding this profound teaching about the nature and the reality of the kingdom of God. And so we're in the last section on the Sermon on the Mount. So what Jesus, I think, in some significant ways is saying is that in light of the Sermon on the Mount in general, in light of these past few chapters, and again, the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' manifesto. It is his treatise on the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is the dynamic, active rule and reign of Almighty God. It is his sphere of influence. It is the place where he really gets things done and where we can interact and encounter him. In fact, Jesus' primary message when he walked the face of this earth is the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. And so that is the message that we embrace and believe at this church. We believe that Jesus is actively present, that he's alive, and that we can encounter and engage with his kingdom even right now. And so the Sermon on the Mount, as he's concluding here, you know, the Sermon on the Mount is like a consolidated collection of the teachings of Jesus on the function of, of his kingdom. He, he talks about life and relationships and about how to love God, how to love others, mission and prayer, all these different things. It's this incredible, beautiful, consolidated and packed teaching on the kingdom of God. And so he's saying, in light of that, in light of the full sweep of, of my teachings, and then he says, in light, kind of more specifically, in light of these final warnings in particular, which remember, we've been exploring um, for the past several weeks. And so these, these warnings, these final warnings at the end of his sermon include the warning about the two roads. Jesus says, broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many people go that way. 
right? He's, he's saying, look, this is very, very serious, and it is very, very possible that we might be heading, in a road, heading on a road that's easy to go down toward destruction. And he says, narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. And so he's saying, in light of this absolute reality that there is life or destruction, listen up, listen to what's next. He also warns about two teachers. He says, watch out for false prophets or false teachers. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're like ferocious, ravenous wolves, and they seek to devour. He says that a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit needs to be cut down and thrown into the fire, the fire of destruction. And so again, we see this intensity just ramping up and ramping up. And Jesus is saying, this is a point of decision. This is not, you know, choose your own adventure. It's A or B. It is this or that. Those are the options. And then he makes that abundantly clear as we explored last week when he talked about the two disciples. And he said, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. In fact, Jesus does, does this incredibly convicting warning where he says, you know, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going gonna, is gonna to enter. He, he, he's saying, people will even come to him and say, Lord, didn't we do all this fancy stuff in your name and, and teach and proclaim who you are? And Jesus basically says, I can see through all these surface level things right down to your heart and get right into the core of who you are. And I know if you legitimately love me and follow me or not. And this is harrowing, and this is very serious business. And so, like I said, he's in this Sermon on the Mount, coming to this crescendo, to this point where all of these things are in, are kind of in our, our recent memory as we listen. And then he drops the therefore. So in light of these things, he says this. And this is what he says. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. And so this is the conclusion of Jesus' Sermon on a Mount. And as a result of this declaration, this is how the crowds respond. It says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. And so there you have it. This is the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. And what I'd like to do with the remainder of our time together is just explore some of the implications of this and hopefully just navigate um, in truth what Jesus is trying to communicate and get to a real clear uh, understanding of what he's dealing with. And so you'll see here in the passage that we've got these two builders. One of the builders he identifies as the wise one and one he identifies as the foolish builder, right? And the interesting thing as we explore this passage is that they actually have a lot in common. In fact, uh, one of the first observations we can make is that they have the same goal, the same goal and, and the same basic objective or the same, they're, they're out to accomplish the same stuff, right? And that is to build a house. It says, this, this guy tried to build a house and that guy tried to build a house. We see that in verse 24 and verse 26. 
And so we start to see in this passage that there's this parallelism, that one thing and the other thing. There's, they're very, very consistent and a very, very similar approach to what he's communicating. And so in this passage, uh, the idea of building a house, it symbolizes building a whole life. It's not just like actually out to, to literally build like whatever, uh, you know, a house. There's the concept of a household. It's like your, your whole thing, every, every aspect of your life the things that you emphasize, the things that you cherish, the things that you focus on, the, the, the passions and, and the relationships, every different than the money and every different function of your life. And he says that these two, these two builders set out to establish or to build their, their life, their thing that they were gonna do. And obviously, everybody starts out and tries to build a good house, right? We're, trying, we're not setting, it doesn't say they set out to build a house that would fall apart on purpose, but they both set out to build or to establish a house. In fact, I think every one of us has this in common with these, with these builders. We're all trying to establish and trying to build our house, right? And oftentimes, they look kind of the same from outside our lives as we interact with other people, whatever. We kind of have a, a, an impression that we're all kind of like getting it together and we're all trying to get it done. And we're all consciously or unconsciously establishing the substance of our lives, right? We're all, we're all building our house and, you know, finding ourselves being attracted to these kinds of things and aligning with these concepts and, 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 you know, participating in these kinds of things. And we're building our house. We're building our house. And we, like the builders, we don't have the goal. Nobody starts out and has the goal of saying, I know I'm going to build my house in such a way that it ends in destruction or that it ends in shambles. That's nobody's goal at the beginning, right? And nobody starts out and says in their marriage, I know I'm going to start out and we're going to be all flirty and it's going to be a honeymoon and it's going to be all good. But a couple years in, it's going to go cold, it's going to grow cold and stale and we're going to wind up getting divorced. Nobody plans on building a house that way. That's nobody's goal. And nobody has the goal when they're holding their little newborn baby and, you know, like it's all cute or whatever. They don't think, I know, by the time you're in your mid-teens, we're going to go grow kind of cold and distant with each other. And then by the time you're in your 20s, we'll be completely estranged and we'll never talk to each other again. That's not, that's nobody's goal. That's nobody's goal. And nobody has the goal when they're young to say, I know, at a certain point, I want to start to mess around with drugs and alcohol. And then by my mid-20s, I'm going to get pretty heavily into it. And then by my mid-30s, I'm going to completely fall off the face of the earth. And it's just going to deteriorate for me. Nobody, that's nobody's goal. Nobody's goal. Nobody has the goal of becoming a bitter person or becoming somebody who just completely isolates and shuts everybody else out. And so we all, like these builders, we have the same goal, to build something good, <laughs> to build something positive and flourishing. And so we have that in common. And these builders also, you'll see that Jesus says they are, they are exposed to the same message, that Jesus makes the point that these two builders, they heard the same thing. It's not like one heard the words of Jesus and the other didn't hear the words of Jesus. Both had access to the same teaching. And so we see in verse 24, it says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, and again, the parallelism, he's, he's talking about the wise builder here and then the foolish builder here, everyone who hears these words of mine. And so obviously, you know, we, we believe this, fully, totally believe that listening to and understanding and pressing into the teachings of Jesus are so important to really listen and to hear the words of Jesus are important. Obviously, that's important, but it must not end there. 
And that's the point that Jesus is going to try to make here in just a second. He, he's saying they're both familiar with and they both understand the things that Jesus said. It's not like one is a church person and one isn't, but they both obviously have completely dramatically different result. And so we've got the same goal. They've been exposed to the same message. And finally, Jesus shows us that they have encountered or experienced the same, the same storm. They're subjected to the same forces of nature uh, in this little parable. And so once again, we see the parallelism here in both verse 25 and 27. It says, the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And I'm sure a lot of you are familiar in biblical literature and really just in any world literature, in any like short writing class or anything like that, you'll know that storm imagery is often used to represent trouble or, or challenges or tragedies right, difficulties and trials, that's just part of the equation. When you start to be exposed to these, these concepts of, of the storm, it's like, it's like in, the, in that scene in the movie is when the really bummer thing happens, right? And so Jesus is relying on that kind of imagery, and what he's saying is, man, this is going to happen. It doesn't say if the rain comes down or potentially if the streams might rise. He just declares that it's going to happen that it's actually a part of life. He says, the rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house. And so this is really the picture that Jesus is presenting for us. In fact, it's been famously said, and I think this is an important thing to really wrestle with, is that you're either heading into a storm, currently in a storm, or recovering from or coming out of a storm. A storm or a trouble or a tragedy or a trial or a challenge that is part of what it means to be a human being. That is an experience that we all face. Maybe some of you, even right now, can directly point to something you're in or are recovering from or feel yourself heading into. And you can look at your life and you can say, man, I have been in a storm. I have felt this, right? And Jesus himself said, in this life, you will have trouble. That is a part of the equation. And so my question to you is, again, with the time that we have remaining and the seriousness of this imagery, can you relate? Can you relate to this? And can you, have you ever felt these challenges or these storms or this, this looming sense that, man, something is, is crashing in on me? Look, he says, the rain comes down and the, and the streams rise up and the winds crash against. It's like being hit from every direction, being hit from every direction. And I know that some of you in this room have really felt that. And what I want you to know is that I think Jesus wants us to feel the weight of that, and he wants us to feel the, the reality that that is something that is going to occur in our lives. And so they have these things in common, and I think we as well have these in common, but there's one big major difference that I think Jesus is trying to point us to. In fact, in this mini parable, there's only one, there's only one major difference between these two builders. And the difference between these two guys is so crucial because it is the difference Jesus teaches between life and death. It's not just the difference between, you know, being kind of cool or not cool enough or uh, sort of have it together or eh, could have done a little bit better. It's the difference between life and death. And uh, it's a matter of whether or not their house or their household or their life can withstand the storm, the real storm that is coming or not. And so the one major difference that we see that Jesus tries to lay out for us is the foundation upon which their lives or their houses are built. And the wise man built his house on the rock 
And the foolish man built his house on the sand. And what, what was visible from the outside, what was visible and, and, and able to be seen from, you know, f- from kind of this outward perspective, it looked the same. It was what was hidden. And it was what was under the surface that made all the difference. That's the difference. What's under the surface and what is at the absolute foundation of our lives. And so here's the truth. Everyone is building a house, right? Your, your actual life, the things that you're focused on and that you care about, the way that your family functions, the things that you do, the decisions, the concepts that you have about reality, your worldview, everything is being built right now. It's actually happening. Your life is happening right now. Everybody's building a life. That's not the question. Here is the question the parable is causing us to ask, is what are you building your life on? And according to Jesus, these are the options, sand or rock. And the point of the parable is that it is a good idea. It is a very, very good idea to build your house on the rock. That's the point of the parable. And it's a bad idea to build your life on the sand. And so a really important question to ask is, well, then what is the rock? What, how do I do that and what is it? And I think a point could be, could be made and we could say accurately that, man, God is, you know, in, in a general sense, God is the rock and I want to build my life on the foundation of God. And I, I think another point could, and we could easily say and it's true that Jesus is the rock, he is the cornerstone and his church is built upon that cornerstone and, and he is what we need to anchor our lives, uh, you know, on. But I think what, what Jesus is trying to do in this, in this parable in particular is something a little bit more specific and a little bit more direct. And he's trying to get right at the heart of something totally crucial about building our life on the rock. And notice what I want you to notice is here in verse 24, it says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. It does not say, it does not say everyone who hears these words of mine builds his house on the rock. It says, because both builders heard, both both of these people who were building their lives were familiar with and exposed to the words of Jesus. No, it says whoever puts them into practice. So in this passage, the rock, ultimately, what, what the rock looks like is obedience to the word of God. Yeah, God is the rock and Jesus is the cornerstone and we should totally like sit at his feet and, and love and cherish and be nourished uh, by his word. And that is true. But without action, without obedience to his word, without really truly building your life on it, we're going to miss the point of what Jesus is trying to say. And it is, it is harrowing and it is a serious warning. And I like what it says in James 1, kind of echoes this concept James 1 verse 22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do, do what it says. Do what it says. Don't fool yourself, right? Don't, this, is, this is a very, very clear teaching. Now, here's the thing. If God's word is, is stirring your heart or you feel your affections warmed, that's a good thing. And if it inspires you or if you feel convicted or, or whatever, that's good. But that's not the end. The end isn't being inspired or being convicted. That's the beginning of what God wants to accomplish. Just being inspired or feeling like it's true, it's not enough. You have to do, you have to do what it says. Without action, without obedience to his word, without building your life, without actually building your life on it, we totally miss it. 
And some of you maybe have translations like, uh, that are a little bit different, like the ESV. And the ESV says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Now this word uh, doers, it comes from this Greek word uh, poietes. And it's kind of an interesting word. It basically means like a maker or a producer or a doer, someone who actually gets her done, gets her done. And as I was preparing for this teaching, I was actually reminded of somebody I know that really gets her done, and it's my dad. My dad, I don't know if any of you guys have dads that like to really get her done, but here's a picture of my dad with a little bit of a scowl right there. My dad is a doer, all right? He's a gentleman and a scholar. I love my dad very much. And why I have this uh, picture up in particular is because this picture was actually taken at my uh, 22nd birthday. And I promise I'm going somewhere with this, but uh, this is kind of an important thing to talk about. So my dad, you know, this was like about 14 years ago. My dad is still alive today, but in this picture, he was actually pretty close to death. He, uh, he left this party uh, not feeling very well, and we actually found out that the, his, his pain and the things he was dealing with at this party were due to some severe blockage in his coronary arteries. He actually had three of his coronary arteries almost completely blocked. And so not long after this picture was taken, dad was being informed by a team of doctors that he needed to receive or have this thing done called coronary artery bypass surgery, right? Coronary artery bypass surgery, triple bypass surgery. And so I'd recently talked to my dad about this uh, conversation he had with the doctor and what that experience was like. And he said that in the hospital, he met with the doctor and the doctor described with his words... What, what needed to happen. And he spoke out with his words, the, the pertinent information, the compelling and important and, 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 and very vital information was communicated to my dad. And so this doctor, apparently in a very direct and professional and confident way, essentially conveyed this information about coronary artery bypass surgery. He said, well, Scott, which is my dad's name, here's what we, we're gonna need to do. We're gonna knock you unconscious Then we're gonna harvest some veins from your legs and saw through your sternum, pry open your chest, stop your heart, connect you to a machine that will circulate blood and oxygen and keep you alive. And then we're gonna sew veins into place to bypass the blockage. And then we're gonna restart your heart and then staple everything back up. That's what we're gonna do. And my dad, being that's just a description of coronary artery bypass surgery. And so my dad, being the sharp, kind of doer and all-around perceptive guy that he is, he responded by saying something to the effect of, wow, wow, doc, that's, uh, those are some pretty strong words. <laughs> those are strong words. I hear you. I hear those words. But can I trust you? Can I trust you? And the doctor responded and he said, yeah, I'm a good surgeon, man. And, and, and you know, I've performed like 7,000, I've successfully performed 7,000 of these operations. And what my dad said is that he, he sensed that this doctor was telling the truth, that there was absolute truth in what this doctor said. He didn't have any kind of hesitation. He said, this is how it's going to be. This is what we're going to do. But he also didn't have any arrogance. He wasn't trying to show off. He just exuded a confidence and a truth. In fact, my dad said, this doctor spoke with authority. He spoke with the authoritative words of what was necessary for life. And so the reality is that, yeah, my dad heard it and he had some options, really. He could just reflect on this and think about it and say, wow, man, that's interesting. 
It's really fascinating how you have to do this one thing and then that logically needs, leads to the next thing and, and there's a progression. I, I kind of want to study that. I, maybe I want to do a, a word study on you know, sternum or something. I want to learn all about the, the, the mechanism of the sternum. That's interesting. Maybe I could just study it. Or maybe I want to reflect on the, medical, the development of medical science and how over the years people used to think it was that, but then they come to, came to more clarity that it was like this. And isn't that interesting, the history of medical science? And maybe even my dad was compelled by the confidence that came from this doctor. Maybe it was the person of the doctor that was really fascinating to him. And he said, I like that doctor. He's an interesting guy. He speaks with authority and says a lot of true things. I'm interested in that. And he could do that. But here's the thing. Stopping there, stopping at hearing and reflecting on and being inspired by the words of the doctor, just stopping there for my dad would mean death. Stopping at just hearing would mean death. And my dad needed to cross over into action. He needed to put these words into practice and say, let's do it. Because crossing over from simply hearing about these things, crossing over from hearing to doing is the difference. And this is the point of what I'm trying to share with you. And I believe Jesus wants you to hear this. Crossing over from hearing to doing is the difference between life and death. That's the difference. And so my dad says, let's put these words into practice. I don't simply want to hear these words and think that that's enough. Let's do it. And I think what Jesus is trying to say as he's closing down the profound Sermon on the Mount is, look, it's good if it convicts you. And it's good if you know it and you're familiar with what it says and even if you can quote it or whatever. But ultimately, you have to act. Ultimately, we have to build our life on the, on the, on the foundation, on the bedrock of practicing, of putting into practice the, what Jesus says. And Jesus shows us that what we build on will determine how we weather the storm. He loves us too much. He lo- Jesus loves us too much to mince words or to soften the, the potential things that we could encounter if we don't engage with him. He loves us too much to mince words or pretend that it isn't a big deal. And this is the conclusion of his sermon. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, it's gonna come. The streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. Jesus isn't being harsh, he's being honest. He's being honest with his, with his, with his audience. And we must allow, we in, in genuine truth, must allow Jesus' words to determine who we are, how we live, how we understand ourselves, others, and God, because the storms are gonna hit, and when they hit, they're gonna reveal and they're gonna expose what our foundation, what, we're, what our foundation is. Storms are gonna shake us, and they're gonna rock us, and they're gonna reveal what our lives are built upon. And if you build on, and some of us need to hear this, if you build on financial security, if you build on comfort, if you build on human opinion or philosophy or the latest trend or concept about anybody's identity, 
if you build on your need for control or your desire to be liked by this group of people or that group of people or to wear these kind of clothes or to drive that kind of car or whatever, if you build on anything other than Jesus, the words and obedience to Jesus, you're building on shifting, shifting sand. And I think that is a very serious and harrowing warning and that is how he concludes his sermon. And so in light of that, what I'd like to do is I just really think it would be a good idea for us to engage, to kind of re-engage with the same questions that we posed last summer as we looked at this series. And so I would ask you to consider and to really think about this. What are you building your life on? We're building a life. We are. We're building a life. We're building a life. But what is the foundation? What's the foundation? Are you, are you or are you not building your life on the words of Jesus Christ? Is, is that, is obedience to his word the foundation of your life and his teaching? His vision for life, his vision for humanity, his desires, his, his authority in your life because he's not, he's not some kind of domineering uh, you know, drill sergeant, man, he loves you and he has nothing but your absolute best interest and in flourishing in mind over the long haul. And sometimes he leads us through challenges and pain, but it's not because he doesn't love us. He loves us very much. And so what are you building your life on? And next, maybe for you, you know, you're, you're encountering some place where this would be an important question for you to ask. Is there an area in your life you feel convicted by Jesus' teaching where action needs to be taken, where you actually need to take a step. Because the truth is, and this is just the absolute truth, no sermon, no book, no podcast, no worship song, no vibe, no experience is gonna magically transform you like pixie dust. It's not gonna, you're not gonna like, bling, oh wow, now I'm a completely humble person. I know when I was uh, first started following Jesus, I prayed, I remember so vividly, I used to pour concrete and I uh, was in this, this work truck and I was like, Lord, I know that to follow you means that I need to be a humble person. So please make me humble. And I think in my mind, I envisioned like a Jesus fairy coming and sprinkling humility dust on me. Like, oh, ta-da, transformed. No, he was like, okay, great. We've just started a lifelong process where you're gonna stumble the whole way through, right? And I'm still in the process of that transformation. Hopefully, one small step of obedience at a time. But no, nothing is gonna just magically transform you. Jesus will, will bring transformation, but we have to be willing and receptive. And we have to walk in obedience to take action, to take a step. And that's the thing for all of us in this room and everybody listening or whatever, we might all be one faith step away from a really significant aspect of transformation in our lives. And there might be such incredible freedom and flourishing and participation in the things that God wants for our lives just on the other side of that step of faithful obedience. A life of obedience to Jesus is a very exciting, profound, uh, and um, significant life. And that's what he's calling you into. Not to, to just, again, not to just make you some brainwashed, like robotic religious person, but to be someone who is increasingly alive and increasingly attuned to his life and his love and his presence. And so you're invited into that. And if you want the life that Jesus has for you to just continue to unfold, man, you have to build your life on what he said and you have to put it into practice. And last, uh, the question is, do you need a new foundation? 
And so maybe some of you in this room are investigating Jesus. And you're saying, you know, I don't know. I'm not 100% sure, you know, what that is going to mean. And what I want you to know is that at this church, we love you. And we don't want to present some kind of false version of Jesus. We want to give you the real, to the best of our ability, give you the best chance to encounter him for real. And to the best of my ability, here's what I will tell you. Jesus made you. He loves you. He has an incredible desire for you to have a relationship with him to discover who you were really made to be, to set you free from the things that have enslaved you. He loves you and he died to save you. And this church is committed to trying to help you come into a real relationship with him. And so if you're investigating or if you're trying to figure it out, we're here for you. We're not messing around. And I personally will tell you, if you're trying to figure it out and you're not sure and you feel like, oh man, I got all this stuff, I don't know, maybe I have to clean myself up before I come to Jesus, that's not true. You can meet Jesus right where you are right here, right now. He loves you, and he died to save you. So if you're investigating, you might want to really consider the fact that you need a new foundation, and today is just as good a day as any to establish a relationship with Christ, and to invite him to you know, allow you this access into what he's doing. And so obviously the storms, man, they expose what we're building our lives on. And Jesus' vision for life is that when the storms hit, which they will, you know, we don't collapse. We don't collapse. And so if we're experiencing storms in our job or with our money or with relationships or health or whatever the things are, a million different things, every direction, all the time, our only hope, our only hope is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus' way does not lead you out of hardship but it does lead you through. He leads you through hardship. He is with you and he wants to be a part of what you're, of what you're encountering. And so I would encourage you with as much sincerity and with as much uh, just genuine pleading with you to embrace Christ and to embrace a, a step of obedience wherever you're at with him, to embrace, embrace Christ and follow him. And so what I'd like to do now is invite the band to come on up uh, and lead us in a time of worship. And as they're getting settled in, I just, I want to read Jesus' conclusion to the sermon one more time. And I would ask you, honestly, to really press into what he is saying. These are the words of Almighty God. Consider what he meant and consider what he's saying. Is it possible that these words are absolute, very truth? And between your heart and God's heart, I would ask you to, to press into to, to, to asking him to make clear what you should do, what step you should take. And so let's go ahead and read the concluding words of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock, on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love, for loving us enough to, to tell it to us straight 
And um, man, these just these, these words are as serious as it can get. And all of us are building a life. Every person in this room, Father, every every decision, everything we focus on, we're building a life. And God, I know and I believe that you want all of us to to have a solid and a secure foundation, one that doesn't that doesn't lead to destruction and to chaos and to misery. God, you want, you want us to experience your love and, and, and your presence. And so I'm asking that you make us, as a church here, uh, as, as, as a body of, of followers, obedient to your word. God, cause your word, to cause us to, to hear your word in deeper and deeper ways and to really engage and to listen, but not just to fill our heads with knowledge, but to lead us to obedience Cause us, Father, as a group to discover what it looks like to actually, in real daily life, put into practice the things that you say in your word. And for those of us in this room, Lord, that are in a storm or are feeling hit from the side and, and just from all around, just think that the, the rivers are rising up and the rain is coming down, God, for the million different ways that, that we can resonate with that. God, I ask that you bring comfort to the people in this room who do have their foundation uh, you know, s- securely established on obedience to you, Father, and on, as even as we're gonna be singing here, that you ultimately, Lord Jesus, are the cornerstone and that our hope is, is built on nothing less than your blood and righteousness. Cause that truth to penetrate so deeply into our hearts and cause us to worship and, 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 and celebrate the fact that we are that we are through every stormy gale that our anchor holds within, within who you are, Jesus, and what you're about. And for those of us that are investors, for, for the people in this room that might be investigating, Father, I just, I plead and beg with you right now to compel them to discover in real spirit and truth who you are and to engage and to embrace you. God, it is life and death, and you love us too much to leave that ambiguous. Cause, cause the people in this room that are investigating you to see that with clarity and bring, us to, and bring them to a point of decision where they have to say, I have to choose to embrace and to put into action this reality that I need a new foundation. And God, help your word to minister to us in the ways that, that you want it to. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to do the work that only you can do. Draw us to yourself. Help us to be receptive to your love. You're the king of glory and of grace. Praise you, Father. Amen.